Welcome to the next episode of Petonomics. This is your host, Isha. And today we have another two-part special on dog training and cat behavior. We're here with Rajvi of Citizen K9 Dog Training Services, and she's here to tell you all about the early stages of training for your new pet. Hello, Rajvi. Hi, Isha. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So I started uh, training dogs and learning how to train dogs about eight years ago. I have certifications in dog training, canine behavior from uh, Shirin Merchant, who runs canine skin care in Bombay, India. Uh, Mr. John Rogerson, who runs something called the Northern Center for Canine Behavior in the UK. And I have a certification in feline behavior from the Humane Society International USA. And finally, I spent some time at a wolf sanctuary with wolves. So I have a certification for that as well. Okay. And... Uh... How many years have you been doing this for? I have been doing this for seven and a half years now. It's quite an interesting uh, job to take up and you really get to spend a lot of time with animals. So how was the process of realizing that this is the job for me and the process of going into the training itself? So I actually started, I have an MBA. So uh, this is not what I studied growing up, but I happened to adopt a dog about eight and a half years ago, nine years ago. And she had some behavior issues right from the outset. And so after struggling for a while, I managed to find my mentor, Shirin Merchant. And she helped me to understand the dog better, communicate with the dog. And so keeping that in mind, I decided to take uh, her basic dog training course, which I loved. And so on the weekends, I would train dogs on the side. I decided to do some more behavior courses to understand my own dog better. and. As I practiced more and more, it took over my life and I ended up doing something I love. So uh, you must have had childhood pets too, right? I imagine it's hard to be interested in dog training or cat behavior without having that exposure from childhood. Absolutely. I was born in a household that had a black lab. And after he passed away, it took a lot of convincing. But my parents finally caved in and gave me my own dog when I was eight years old. So I've had dogs since then. And I've volunteered at the SPCA when I was 13, 14 for a while as well. So uh, I've loved dogs ever since I can remember. And there's a lot of pet parents coming up now. I mean, I think that uh, the, the lifestyle that includes a pet in the family is increasing quite a bit over the past couple of years. How has that affected the industry of dog training? How has that affected the way people are with their dogs? Are they maybe more careless with them or do they have more access to information to train them? Right. So, uh, you know, the the changes between when I was growing up to now are stark, you know, for people who've wanted dogs or who've had dogs. When I was growing up, there was no dog food. There were only vets. You couldn't really find trainers. Uh, and cut to now, where if I want, I can get uh, a dog. If I decide this morning that I want a dog, I can get a dog by the evening because there are so many pet shops, there are so many breeders. Now, that might result in some hasty or not well thought, thought out decisions, right? But there are also, now you see the whole explosion of YouTube videos. There's a whole lot more reading on the internet for how to raise a dog, how to train a dog. So I think there's both uh, good and bad. Uh, when it comes to rearing dogs and having dogs in your life. But overall, there's a huge upsurge in dog ownership, uh, simply because it's easier now to have one. And uh, for it's also aspirational 
in a sense. Mm. If you take a look at a lot of real estate advertisements, so many of them show a typically happy family and, you know, a dog is always present. So that's interesting to look at. So ideally, when should someone be getting a dog trainer? And when? how old should the dog be? So I always like to tell people and, you know, people call me and ask me, I've just gotten a puppy, when should we start training? And I say, you should start training yesterday or you should have started training the moment the puppy entered your home. So it's very important to look at dog training, not just as teaching a dog simple commands like come here, no, sit down or shake hands, but it's also teaching a dog, communicating with you as well as boundary setting, teaching the dog what is right and what is wrong. So I do believe that dog training should happen the moment a dog comes to live with you because the rules that a dog has to follow are yours. And uh, of course, in terms of getting a dog trainer on, while people can train their own dogs, uh, it's always a good idea to get help from someone who does it on a daily basis, someone who does it professionally. So if you're getting in a dog trainer, ideally I would say, wait until your dog has at least one vaccination because uh, especially for me as a dog trainer, I see many dogs in the day and I would not want to see an unvaccinated puppy in case I tracked in something that could compromise her or his immunity. All right. And I think even though it is recommended, I feel like a lot of people do have difficulty fathoming, like dealing with the idea that this little teacup-sized puppy should be trained. And I think a lot of people, because of the size and just the appearance, are not able to commit to a trainer. So what are some things people can do before uh, they get a trainer, or in fact, even the puppy itself? What are some like common sense behaviors that people should inculcate into their household or into the puppy, like formal training? So, uh, you know, as you rightly said, prep should really start even before getting a puppy at home, uh, which means that Everyone who lives in that household should agree to have a dog. You should figure out your life situation as much as possible for the next 10 to 15 years because you do know that it's going to be a living being within the house with you. So in case you have senior citizens in the house, in case there's going to be a baby in the house sometime soon, all of these factor into what type of dog you should be getting home. And sometimes those are the reasons why we see so many abandonments. Absolutely, because the prep work was done inappropriately. Part of the prep work is also figuring out, uh, is there a vet in my neighborhood? Am I able to afford veterinary treatment? Uh, what's the range of food? Can I afford the appropriate amount of food? Do I have the time in my life for the next one and a half, two years to raise the dog? Um, personally, I like to say that there's a very considerable time commitment for the first two years of a dog's life. After that, that can go down. But if you raise the dog correctly in the first two years of its life, you're likely to, um, you know, have a trouble-free relatively for the next, next like 15 years 14 or so. years or yeah. so. Yeah. Okay. So some basic things like human behavior that I found kind of problematic is when the puppy's new and, you know, puppy eyes, they just naturally have constant puppy eyes. So you <laughs> yes. end up like feeding them a little bit of food off your plate. And sometimes you encourage them to sleep on the bed with you. But that's in families that typically do not want dogs on the furniture. Absolutely. So. I mean, I, I have to say that 
puppy eyes or dogs being manipulative little actors. I think it it really happens and they learn really quickly how to uh, kind of wrap their humans around their little paw, right? Uh, it's very common in India to have this feeding off the table. Also because as a culture, uh, you know, a lot of times I think we express ourselves through feeding others. Yeah, and sharing and that whole and idea sharing. of exactly. you are with us. So, you know, teaching a dog to beg and literally I'm rewarding that puppy to beg. It means that it is going to continue to do so as it grows old. And then it's kind of unfair when it's about seven or eight months or when it looks like an adult dog to say, hey, I have my guests over and now you can't stare at them while they eat. Yeah, your dog's not going to be able to tell the difference between you and your guests when it comes to something like food. He's going to ask whoever he's going to ask or she. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think similarly, you know, I think Indians are probably um, one of the few cultures in the world actually that teach a dog uh, how to eat for attention. So I get such cases pretty often and I'll, I'll tell you one such story. I got a call once from uh, someone and he says, I have a huge problem. My dog refuses to eat. I have to hire someone to just hand feed the dog. Okay. So he actually hired someone who would hand feed the dog. And he said, but that's, wow. that's not where the issue ends. Uh, this lady runs around for 45 minutes feeding the dog with her hands. It takes 45 minutes for the dog to be hand fed. Not only that... Uh, this dog, he said that, you know, he's very picky, he's very fussy and he eats only Italian cheese and Italian ham. To which I said, okay, leave the dog and adopt me. <laughs> uh, no, but jokes aside, uh, lots of Indians will also hand feed their dogs. Now that's not appropriate at all. And the moment the dog maybe doesn't eat the meal quick enough or isn't as, as excited, people will add things that are tastier and tastier which then leads to a dog being like a connoisseur and eating only Italian cheese and Italian ham. Mm. So these are uh, the wrong sorts of habits to inculcate. They come from a place, of course, of love and care. But you should not be hand feeding the dog. You should not be adding more and more tasty things in an effort for the dog to eat because eating or survival is a natural instinct for a dog and we shouldn't really be messing with that. Yeah. And that's a part of like another whole like horde of issues that humans or the pet owners are enabling. Absolutely. Like uh, separation anxiety. That's something which is typically brought up when the owner gets extremely flustered while leaving and makes an event out of the departure Absolutely. when they're going for work. And the owner feels guilty. The dog is told, I'll be back. There's a long protracted goodbye. Now that's telling the dog that you should actually be worried about me leaving. Again, that's not appropriate because you want a confident dog. You want a dog to be okay when you are not around. Because you need him to know that his survival is guaranteed. I mean, tomorrow if I'm left wondering whether my survival is called into question, every 24 hours, I'm you know, my life is going to be cut short due to that anxiety. So it's very important to teach your dog to be a confident dog. And that then goes back to the point of boundary setting and the appropriate communication. So I should be able to put my dog's food down and do whatever I'm doing and come back in 15 minutes, see that it's over and put the bowl away. I should be able to leave my house. I should be able to leave my dog alone for at least four to five hours without it being a problem. These are the habits that I have to start 
at a young age. I may not leave a puppy alone for five hours at a stretch at the get-go, but I will build it up slowly. So you do have to like discipline yourself essentially to be able to have a successful, uh, a successfully raised uh, dog. Yes, actually, it's not just you. And then this goes back to the conversation you have with the family. Everyone who lives with the dog has to be absolutely consistent in their behavior towards the dog, what they're rewarding, what they're not rewarding, how they behave with the dog. So everyone in the family has to do it. Because the moment I have different standards from different people, the dog is confused and then it's going to try different things. Okay. And what are some ways to tell how your dog's feeling or different emotions? Like what does a certain direction of the ear mean or what does a certain wagging of the tail mean? I think people find it very difficult to understand that in this early stage. Right. Is my dog getting bored of the training? When do I stop? Right, right. So, uh, you know, dog body language, I think there can be books and books written on it. But you said something very important, which I'm just going to take, which is the tail wag. Most people think that a dog's wagging tail is a good thing. Now, that's actually not uh, 100% true. A wagging tail does not automatically translate to this is great, the dog is really happy. It's the type of tail wag that tells you so. But here's the good news. Any dog body language has to be read as a whole. So if the dog's tail is wagging, I can see it wag, but the rest of the body is rigid and stiff. I know that that's probably not a good tail wag. So remember to look at the dog's body language as a whole. The more time you spend looking, you'll be able to tell when the whole body is a little more relaxed, if it's crouched in a corner, if it's curled up what it's looking at. So say, for example, you said boredom while training. It's always best to keep things uh, short and snappy. When dogs are puppies, they don't have as much of an attention span. So typically, I would train or engage with a dog for, say, five minutes, take a one-minute break, then go back to doing it. And the break could even mean throwing a toy for the dog. Okay. And what are some basic commands that any your average household pet should have? So household pets, uh, first off, what we need to teach them is their name. Lots of dog owners skip over that bit. Now, the moment I choose a name, I should be sticking to that name. So, for example, if I've called my dog Blackie, I should be teaching the dog the name Blackie. Not Blackoo, not Black, not any other cutie pet name, Boo Boo, Sweetie Pie, none of that. First, the dog needs to know its name because it needs to know when you are asking it for its attention, right? Mm. After that, now, if we move on to the commands, the most important commands are probably no, which uh, could be a life-saving command. Say, for example, if your dog is going to pick up a rat who's dead or uh, maybe just about to step on some glass, uh, the second command would be a come here, Now, this is really important, especially if you're out and about with your dog. Uh, This has happened to, I think, countless people that I know, quite a few dogs that I've trained. It's even happened to myself. Uh, My own dog, Tequila, I was walking her on Carter Road and the leash snapped. And of course, she ran off. Now, had I run after her, she would have just run faster. There's no way that I can outrun that dog. So... Uh, what I did was stand in one place and call out to her. And of course, she came back. That's the safest thing to do. So your dog has to be able to come back to you. And the third and fourth command are probably a sit or a down. 
as well as a steak. Now that's incredibly useful whether you're going to the vets, whether you're out at a cafe or a bar, your dog should be able to sit still when you ask it to. Again, depending on the command, you can use it for a variety of reasons. The other day I broke two, three glasses in my house and I just asked my dog to sit while I cleaned it up rather than have her walking all over it and then maybe have a cut paw pad or two. Yeah, and speaking about commands, how essential is it for owners to have these standard uh, command words? Because in my house, of course, sit is sit, come here is come here, but when we say place, right, we say nini. <laughs> That's his command, yeah, like yeah, go nini. Of course, of course. Is, it, is it important to have the same commands across all so it's easier for other people to command your dog? Or is it okay if some people do choose to you know, be a little bit like Nini instead of place. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely okay. And, uh, you know, I've trained dogs in English, in uh, Hindi, in Gujarati. I speak to my own dog in Kachi. Um, so the language or the word is not as important as your tone or your pitch. So if I'm saying the word down, it has to sound like that in whatever language I'm saying it. If I say sit, I will say sit in whatever language I'm saying it. Uh, for a beagle that I was training, the owner of the beagle was a Harry Potter fan. So we actually trained uh, the beagle using like Harry Potter words. Oh, no, okay, I've forgotten like spells. those. Spell words, yeah. Okay. But there is one, I think, for come and something else. I can't remember. Oh, now, yeah, there's but... Accio for come. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. So it doesn't matter what language you speak in. In fact, my dog listens to whoever's talking to her in English or in Kachi, uh, even in Marathi, but you have to sound the same. The tone and pitch is what the dogs pick up on. It's not the actual word. Yeah, and like not being firm with your commands, your dog's probably just going to ignore you or think that you're just saying hello or something, right? Yes, so partly it goes back to training. So if you're working with a trainer, your trainer's probably going to tell you. And this is how typically, if you're not used to training, you're going to say, Blackie, sit, 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 sit. At that point, the dog learns that sit, 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 sit literally means nothing. So I need to teach the dog when I say sit, that you actually sit and it means something. I can't be repeating a command. Usually people will just end up repeating. All they say, come, 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 come. Soon the dog learns that come means nothing at all and he has to carry on exactly what he was doing. So it's very important uh, to do it consistently and you know that's where a professional dog trainer may be able to help you to iron out these kinks and there's a lot of uh the, the interesting thing about training is that you can't just do it at home of course you start off there but then you have to branch out train him in your building in your basement and I think when he's or she is really advanced or very receptive then maybe on the footpath or in a dog park that's so, absolutely right so uh, you start off training an environment that has the least distractions, which is typically the home. But once a dog learns to do so in the house, I need to introduce more distractions. I need to introduce some exciting smells. Or maybe there's a dog going by. Maybe there's a stray cat on the wall. Am I able to listen to my human at that time? Or in a bar in a cafe, wow, the next table has some cookies on the table and I really want to go and get them. Am I going to be able to listen to my human? If I haven't practiced, then as that dog's human, it would be unfair of me to expect the dog to carry out things at the same level of obedience as he did when he was in the house. And some of the first things that you do with a dog 
I think probably even in the first month, whether or not you're focusing on training is potty training and socializing. Absolutely. So can you elaborate a bit on how important those factors are, especially socializing with humans, socializing with other dogs, and how someone should be going about housebreaking or potty training sure. their dog? Because I don't think people take their dogs out enough Absolutely, sometimes. absolutely. You know, of the things that are of most concern to people are a dog's toilet training simply because if the dog is not taught, then it messes up the house, right? Uh, this, again, like I was saying, it's a significant time investment to teach your dog. So once your dog enters your home, uh, I would say really take out 10 to 15 days to supervise the dog. This means when you're toilet training the dog, you supervise it consistently and take it to the appropriate pee spot when you think it wants to pee or poo. For some dogs, I know in India, vets say that don't take it down before a certain age, don't take it down before all of its vaccines. So you could use newspapers, say for example, to put the dog on the newspaper just before it's about to pee or poo. So the toilet training is entirely in your hands. It boils down to a human supervision because I'm teaching the dog to pee or poop on the appropriate texture. Dogs pee by smell, but they also pee by surface. Okay. So if I take a newspaper and I place the dog on the newspaper every time I think the dog is going to pee or poo. Now this usually happens after every change in activity. So I would take the dog or the puppy to the paper after it's finished eating, after it's gotten up from sleep, after it's finished playing. So after every change in activity. Say someone new comes in and meets the dog. So again, Soon after newspaper. that, I'm going to put the newspaper there. If I've trained the dog for two minutes and I've stopped, Bring I'm going paper. to put the... Exactly. And put it in a consistent location. Soon your dog should learn how to go to the paper, but your supervision has to be constant and consistent. Once the vet allows you to take the dog down, all you have to do is take a paper that has the smell of the pee and start off doing that downstairs. In some cases, some dogs just learn to do it on their own downstairs without taking the paper down. But again, you'll be taking the dog down many times until it learns that it has to hold uh, until it goes down. Yeah, and it's a really strange process because you're like constantly complimenting your dog for doing a poo. Yeah, absolutely. Like, good boy, like good absolutely. poo. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're going to have to get used to the fact that there, you're going to get weird stares. Absolutely. And yeah. you get really excited yeah. about pee and poo. I think yeah. the, the first time they do it, like you genuinely feel joy. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, I think the life of a dog owner is such. I think I still get stares because at times I'll take a photo of the poo if it's not looking right to me. And I'll send it to my vet and say, hey, take a look at this. <laughs> so people find it really weird that I'm sitting there taking photos of dog poo before I pick it up. And as a side note, yes, PSA, please pick up after your dog or your puppy or whatever animal you have, just pick up after him or her. Absolutely. It's not okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and just... I think the other thing that I wanted to grab that you spoke about was socialization. Hmm. It's very important to teach your dog about the world that she or he inhabits. In an urban environment, that's going to be a wide variety of people. So people your own age, maybe people older than you, definitely people younger than you, kids, people from different castes and classes, people who look different. Um, there was once that I had to see a dog for aggression and we couldn't figure out. He seemed to be aggressive only to men, but, you know, we couldn't figure out. It just seemed random until we realized that the dog 
wanted to bite men who had French beards. Simply because he had never seen one until I think he was four. We solved that problem pretty easy because I asked the owner to grow a French beard and that was that. Okay. But, um, wow. you know, there are sometimes dogs can pick up on the smallest of things. So their socialization with different types of people needs to be good. They also need to be socialized to different types of sounds. That's, you know, traffic, your pressure cooker sound, ideally vacuum cleaner, sounds of kids playing, maybe construction sounds. Similarly with surfaces. So, you know, the sand feels different from cement, feels different from tile, feels different from concrete. Uh, yeah. So surfaces as well, objects of all types. Yeah, and especially like you mentioned sounds because in at least Mumbai, you're going to have loud sounds for extended periods of time and you have nothing you can do about it. So Absolutely. Like no amount of window shutting or door closing is going to drown that noise out and your dog will get really stressed out if he or she isn't used to it already. Absolutely. And then more, and I, I think enough time socializing at the vets. So take your young puppy into the vet when you have nothing to do at the vets. Ask the vet to maybe play with it a little bit, touch it, give it a treat. But don't take the dog to the vet for the first four times if it's going there just for shots or unpleasant things. It's probably not going to like going to the vets. Yeah, and even with the transport, mode of transport to the vets, if yes. you're only taking him to the vet in a car, then he might get scared or she might get scared of just being in a car. Not just scared. Uh, they may even get car sick and that nausea may continue and then that'll take months of work to solve uh, because they just get nervous and anxious that I'm going in the car. If you think about it, uh, if you buy a vet from like a breeder, the first car journey is away from its mother. Uh, followed by a couple of car journeys to the vet where it's being prodded and poked. So it's very important. Yeah, just glad take your dog out it. for like an ice cream trip once in a while. Absolutely. Yeah, like your puppy out most specifically. That Absolutely. Would be more helpful. So how do you properly socialize your dog to other dogs? Okay, so, uh, you know, dogs are a social animal. I think a lot of people know that. Uh, people also say that dogs are a pack animal. Now, dogs are social animals, but when they come to your house to live with you, they become part of your pack. Now, if you've gotten your dog home because you want a furry best friend, that's great. But remember, you're also beholden because you are your dog's best friend. So, until you have fully bonded with your dog and until your dog knows that the most fun she or he is going to have is by your side, uh, don't take the dog out for extensive outings. While your dog can be around other dogs, that is, go for a walk with maybe another dog. The human is your friend or you know the other dog. You can go out for walks together, but there should not be any extensive chasing games. They should not play on each other's bodies. If you want two dogs to play, get a couple of toys out. Let them play with toys and a human but never on, on each other, not mouthing each other, not jumping on each other. All of that is inappropriate. It can lead to bad greeting behavior. It can lead to inappropriate behavior around other dogs. And at a more uh, extreme degree, it does lead to dog-to-dog -dog aggression. Okay. So basically just making sure that the focus isn't on each other. It's It's on... On a Activities. toy, it's on a human. So there are plenty of times that I may have training sessions with multiple people and their dogs. So they are around other dogs. 
but they are focusing on their humans or they are focusing on appropriate things to do so i'll just bring up some common issues and you can tell me how people can deal with that sure. one of them would be a dog who barks every time you open the door how would someone deal with that or who, every time the bell rings specifically right so the dog has learned that the bell ringing means a stranger or someone is coming in uh now it depends on how your dog was socialized so this one it really the barking depends on why the dog is barking if the dog is scared of people then i may depending on the age of the dog socialize the dog a little more get the dog friendly with people sometimes for certain dogs uh if it's my house and i come home and i'm opening the door with a key i don't ring the bell just random strangers do so i change it up either i stop people from ringing the bell altogether or i'll ring the bell when i'm coming home so the dog has no way of differentiating so there are multiple ways to do it i can also desensitize the dog to the sound of the bell this is a behavior issue so in such a case i would definitely reach out to a behaviorist because i need to understand the why of the behavior before trying to fix the behavior mm-hmm. and these are just some examples i've given but there can be many hmm. solutions to the problem okay and uh let's say a dog pulls on your leash a lot or pulls on uh how do you deal with a dog that's just wanting to go their own way right so uh you know plenty of dogs learn to pull on the leash simply because the first few times one may have taken them out uh they've pulled i've allowed them to go where they want to go and so they learn very quickly that if i want to go somewhere i have to pull on the leash right so if i have a dog who is pulling how do i solve for that one is i would tire the dog out a little bit before going on the walk i would maybe play a game throw the ball inside the house maybe do a little bit of training like a come here sit so training other than building a bond with your dog is also mental stimulation for the dog right so i may do all of that so it's less likely the dog will pull and then once i take the dog out i make sure that the dog is calm just before i leave so i will ask the dog to sit only then clip the leash on once the dog has sat move out walk at a pace that is fast enough so if i'm dawdling if i'm taking my own sweet time the dog may pull right hmm. focus on the dog talk to the dog uh, a walk is not a time for me to listen to my favorite songs or chat on hands free with a friend focus on the dog tell the dog what you want the dog to do so if the dog is not pulling at that point i expect the person to say hey you're doing such a great job uh, because lots of times we only try to fix things when dogs are doing something wrong but less often we tell the dogs actually when they're doing something right and then if the problem is still not solved i would take the same route that i do every day like just stick to one route so the dog has nothing to look forward to it knows it knows exactly what it's going to see on that route what it's going to smell on that route and soon it may get bored Of course there are plenty of uh, leash walking techniques that one can use and for that you would have to reach out to a dog trainer. Okay so we've gone a little bit into the process of training how it's typically not too long we should keep it short and snappy and uh one other thing is that's an aspect of training with a lot of trainers that we're seeing now is the use of things like choke chains, prong collars, uh different types of punishment, pinching, smacking the nose. Right. what what is your opinion about these as measures to train um well there are multiple components to this 
in terms of effectiveness i don't think it's as effective as methods that don't punish or hurt the dog i just simply don't this is of course apart from the moral argument that i wouldn't want to hurt a dog in order to train it and i strongly believe in both of these aspects so i think that if you use um, positivity and rewards to train a dog i'm likely to have a better training outcome so using love and respect rather than fear for me is far more effective yeah and also uh try out the choke chain before <laughs> absolutely absolutely i mean if you want to use a piece of equipment on a dog first try it out on yourself you like it then you can consider using it but use it properly to know what the dog is going to experience so if a dog is let's say trained properly everything's fine but sometimes they engage in undesirable behavior let's say trying to play ball when it's not time to play ball or right just sometimes you know not everyone's going to be perfect and they might do things that are undesirable yes. so what is an effective way to deal with that do you ignore the dog do you say no what would you uh, suggest so um i'll i'll use a few examples then so say for example jumping dog is jumping on guests dog is jumping on you now it might have started off when the dog was a puppy right uh you've come home lovely puppy you're so excited both of you are the happiest in the world because the dog is jumping all over you so how do i expect then this puppy after it's grown up to be a 35 kilo dog to stop jumping now it's a very common thing which is why i'm going to use this example there are multiple ways in which i can deal with it um one is if i know someone is coming actually my favorite example is to tell dog owners through a party so what you're going to do is you're going to call over 30 40 people uh, your dog is going to be inside with you but all your drinks beer soft drinks everything put outside the house let people go out of the house ring the doorbell come back in and the rule is that you have to ensure that the dog doesn't jump on you which means you will turn around and walk out or someone will be there to hold the dog's chain so that the dog cannot jump now in one short evening he gets the experience of about 140 greetings where he's not allowed to jump so it's a very quick and effective way uh, jokes aside uh, what you can do is you can put the dog on a leash when you know someone's coming over step on the chain before the dog does the jump and then not give the dog ask the person who's coming in not to give the dog any attention until the dog is completely calm that's one way to do it the other way to do it is of course take out all the excitement and joy of the greeting by not allowing the dog in until the person is in and seated and then again ignore until the dog is completely calm tire out the dog before someone comes over so there are multiple ways to do this um but ignoring it is probably not going to make it go away at all yeah and dogs can uh, they're pretty attentive to your expressions and your behaviors So Absolutely. even if you know you're trying to ignore him but you have a really big smile on your face he knows you're excited. <laughs> yes, your your dog trainer will usually tell you this that you know everything about you you're saying no you're doing all of this but you have a smile on your face. So it's very important uh, that you use your emotion to train. In fact, when we were talking about training techniques earlier, I think using emotions is probably one of the most effective ways to train a dog. Okay. And uh what's an effective way to introduce new pets suppose you already have a dog or a cat or 
suppose you have children and you want to get a pet in, and children meaning young children who are a little right. less aware of how to behave, how do you introduce uh, an adult dog or a young dog? Or how do you make them be in the best possible right. behavior to meet young children on previous pets? So I, I would say this, again, would go into pre-prep. If I have kids in the house, uh, young kids, that is any, I would say any child under the age of 12. Or I, if I have another dog or a cat in the house, first figure out with the help of a professional whether it's appropriate. And if it's appropriate, what type of animal and what does the temperament of that animal look like? I see lots of um, dog behavior issues. I see lots of cat behavior issues simply because that matching hasn't been done correctly. The pre-work hasn't been done correctly. And once there's a fight or once there's some sort of aggression or some inappropriate behavior, then pulling that back becomes really extremely hard. Uh, lots of times I hear people say, oh yeah, get two dogs, it'll be great company. Now that's not true. I can't just take a dog and bung it into a house and expect that things are going to go hunky-dory. There's a lot of pre-work involved. When it comes to kids, uh, especially, lots of people will say, oh, I want to get a puppy for my young kids so that they spend more time outside. You know, they have a doggy best friend. Again, a pup and a young child may not be the best combination. In fact, it would be great if people who had kids would adopt senior dogs. Here you have a dog that's fully toilet trained, I'm guessing, and doesn't really have the sort of exuberance of a young puppy, doesn't have the sharp nails of a puppy. That would be a great match, of course, with the help of a canine behaviorist. And it's also important that your existing pet, cat or dog, and your child feel safe. Because there's no point if your cat's like under the sofa or hiding on top of the fridge for like months because you have a new dog in the house. Absolutely. Which then goes back to the pre-prep work. You have to be able to reach out to a feline or a canine behaviorist. Ask whether your own pet wants another dog in the house. I think that's, or a cat in the house, that's a big fallacy. People will say, my dog needs a doggy best friend. Now, that's not true. My dog may not want to share his resting places, his toys, his humans with another dog who I've gotten into the house. He already has a best friend, the humans who live with him. So until and unless you really explore this thoroughly, you should not be doing this. For example, um, I have two dogs and seven cats, actually. But I think one of my most recent adoptions was my younger dog. And I knew what sort of temperament I was looking for. And I searched for the correct dog for about one and a half years before I got that dog in. Uh, so it's very important to choose correctly if you have a go ahead. Okay. So uh, let's just conclude on some fun facts about dogs. I'll start you off. Uh, so dogs are also capable of having teenage angst. So yes. should be prepared for that when they're about eight months approximately. Uh, between eight months and I think a year or so. So, so depending on the breed of the dog, uh, dogs can have like their teenage pains anywhere from six months to 18 months odd, which is why I said first two years, just be prepared. At that point, dogs are going to test your boundaries, going to rebel against you, against anything they've learned. So don't be surprised if one fine day your dog suddenly acts like he has never had a moment of training in his life. 
it is pretty common unfortunately for you you just have to work through it and keep on pushing the training keep on pushing the boundary setting like a human teenager the dog is doing the same rebellion thing learning um also building her or his confidence so it's very important to actually not give up at that stage if you look at statistics for shelters most dogs are given up in this adolescence period because it's become too trying for the owner so it's very important actually to train before that and then to continue training through it yeah i mean you're going to have to expect these things like <laughs> i lost seven pairs of shoes in that phase once he was like a perfect little boy and then the next day seven shoes were just gone so i think those are some of uh, the joys of life i think when you have a dog yeah. can't take life too seriously and depending on the thing. breed it, it might not be seven pairs of it might just be a sofa <laughs> which also <laughs> happened cuz we have a german shepherd oh, so we lost a sofa during wow. his teenage phase so ideally i would say don't allow things to progress that far yeah. i mean make sure that your supervision is in place that the training is in place maybe uh, he gets a slightly more stimulation at the time uh because any bad habit that he learns to practice over time may not yeah. just go away yeah this was like uh, three uh, in sorry not even three months three weeks in just a period of three weeks my dog went from being a sweet little puppy to becoming like an absolute destroyer of shoes then sofas and then by the end of that it was a, a month right three weeks a month and then he he was fine again that was it nothing he didn't touch <laughs> anything I after think that period so i don't know what the owners or young yeah. dog owners can be a suffering lot yeah and it can be just like for the shortest period and then disappear like destroy a house and then just be fine again absolutely But you yeah that's an interesting thing that you should be wary of that teenage phase is odd it is i had a um, case once that i was called in for because this young teenage dog actually his owner was a, a fashion designer and he ate up all the embroidery on a bride's dress before wow. her wedding day so very serious stuff but uh, it's part and parcel of a teenage dog's life so you should be prepared for these sorts of things yeah you know before you get the puppy hopefully home. not a sofa or a wedding dress but you're going to yeah. lose some shoes at least yes yes and uh, so what are some other fun facts about dogs i think one of the myths is that uh, dogs are color blind uh, that's not true dogs have two cones in their eyes humans have i think three, three. um which means that dogs can see in usually blue and green for example if you look at any dog agility equipment it's usually not red in color uh simply because that would meld into the background of say grass or whatever ground you're on but interestingly dogs you know engage with the world in many ways uh so you know that um all of us actually have an occupational smell and dogs can pick that up so say for example for the next 10 years if i give up dog training today for the next 10 years i'm still going to smell like a dog trainer and if i took your clothes home and washed them with mine some of that scent would rub off on you too but more interestingly there was a famous study done and uh, dogs could differentiate vets as well or medical personnel uh simply because all of our clothes have dyes in them and so the dye green does smell distinctive from the dye blue so i think uh it's important to remember that dogs just engage really differently so 
we know that green probably smells different for a dog red probably smells different for a dog at least on clothes uh, i think that's a great place to conclude this episode i mean the information you've given us is great and i hope it helps a lot of people figure out how to deal with those early stages of uh, pet training and you know encourages them to take the right measures and make sure that their dog is properly trained would you like to say some parting words uh this was a lot of fun for me um you know i it's tough for me to shut up when i have to talk about dogs so it's great to be on this but i would say that just remember that whatever habits you want your dog to have as an adult start inculcating them in her or him as a puppy because it's much easier to teach good behavior than it is to break a habit all right and that wraps up part 1 of our two part special you'll be back Uh, yes. And thank you so much for joining in. Uh we hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned on Wednesdays for our next episodes and we release weekly. If you have any feedback or want to send a recommendation about our topics or just have some questions, please email us at bonjour@eblog.media. We're available on all major streaming sites like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Geo Savan, Castbox and more. Thank you.